Chapter Two, Part Two of the Formation of Vegetable Molds Through the Action of Worms with Observations on Their Habits by Charles Darwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Part Two Habits of Worms Continued. Petioles. We will now turn to the petioles or footstalks of compound leaves after the leaflets have fallen off. Those from Clematis montana, which grew over a veranda, were dragged early in January in large numbers into the burrows on an adjoining gravel walk, lawn, and flower bed. These petioles vary from one and one half to four and one half inches in length, are rigid, and of nearly uniform thickness, except close to the base, where they thicken rather abruptly, being here about twice as thick as in any other part. The apex is somewhat pointed, but soon withers, and is then easily broken off. Of these petioles, 314 were pulled out of burrows in the above-specified sites, and it was found that 76% had been drawn in by their tips, and 24% by their bases, so that those drawn in by the tip were a little more than thrice as many as those drawn in by the base. Some of those extracted from the well-beaten gravel walk were kept separate from the others, and of these, fifty-nine in number, nearly five times as many had been drawn in by the tip as by the base. Whereas, of those extracted from the lawn and flower-bed, where, from the soil yielding more easily, less care would be necessary in plugging up the burrows, the proportion of those drawn in by the tip, one hundred and thirty, to those drawn in by the base, forty-eight, was rather less than three to one. That these petioles had been dragged into the burrows for plugging them up, and not for food, was manifest, as neither end, as far as I could see, had been gnawed. As several petioles are used to plug up the same burrow, in one case as many as ten, and in another case as many as fifteen, the worms may perhaps at first draw in a few by the thicker end, so as to save labor, but afterwards a large majority are drawn in by the pointed end in order to plug up the hole securely. The fallen petioles of our native ash-tree were next observed, and the rule with most objects, viz., that the majority are dragged into the burrows by the more pointed end, had not here been followed, and this fact much surprised me at first. These petioles vary in length from five to eight and one-half inches. They are thick and fleshy towards the base, whence they taper gently towards the apex, which is a little enlarged and truncated, where the terminal leaflet had been originally attached. Under some ash trees, growing in a grass field, 229 petioles were pulled out of worm burrows early in January, and of these 51.5% had been drawn in by the base, and 48.5% by the apex. This anomaly was, however, readily explained, as soon as the thick basal part was examined. For in seventy-eight out of a hundred and three petioles, this part had been gnawed by worms, just above the horseshoe-shaped articulation. In most cases there could be no mistake about the gnawing, for ungnawed petioles, which were examined after being exposed to the weather for eight additional weeks, had not become more disintegrated or decayed near the base than elsewhere. It is thus evident that the thick basal end of the petiole is drawn in not solely for the sake of plugging up the mouths of the burrows, but as food. Even the narrow truncated tips 
of some few petioles had been gnawed, and this was the case in six out of thirty-seven, which were examined for this purpose. Worms, after having drawn in and gnawed the basal end, often push the petioles out of their burrows, and then drag in fresh ones, either by the base for food, or by the apex for plugging up the mouth more effectually. Thus, out of thirty-seven petioles inserted by their tips, five had been previously drawn in by the base, for this part had been gnawed. Again, I collected a handful of petioles lying loose on the ground close to some plugged-up burrows, where the surface was thickly strewed with other petioles, which apparently had never been touched by worms. And, fourteen out of forty-seven, i.e. nearly one-third, after having had their bases gnawed, had been pushed out of the burrows, and were now lying on the ground. From these several facts, we may conclude that worms draw in some petioles of the ash by the base to serve as food, and others by the tip to plug up the mouths of their burrows in the most efficient manner. The petioles of Rubinia pseudoacacia vary from four or five to nearly twelve inches in length. They are thick, close to the base, before the softer parts have rotted off, and taper much toward the upper end. They are so flexible that I have seen some few doubled up and thus drawn into the burrows of worms. Unfortunately, these petioles were not examined until February, by which time the softer parts had completely rotted off, so that it was impossible to ascertain whether worms had gnawed the bases, though this was in itself probable. Out of 121 petioles extracted from burrows early in February, 68 were embedded by the base and 53 by the apex. On February 5, all the petioles which had been drawn into the burrows beneath a robinia were pulled up, and after an interval of 11 days, 35 petioles had been again dragged in, 19 by the base and 16 by the apex. Taking these two lots together, 56% were drawn in by the base and 44% by the apex. As all the softer parts had long ago rotted off, we may feel sure, especially in the latter case, that none had been drawn in as food. At this season, therefore, worms drag these petioles into their burrows indifferently by either end, a slight preference being given to the base. This latter fact may be accounted for by the difficulty of plugging up a burrow with objects so extremely thin as are the upper ends. In support of this view, it may be stated that out of the sixteen petioles which had been drawn in by their upper ends, the more attenuated terminal portion of seven had been previously broken off by some accident. Triangles of Paper Elongated triangles were cut out of moderately stiff writing paper, which was rubbed with raw fat on both sides, so as to prevent their becoming excessively limp when exposed at night to rain and dew. The sides of all the triangles were three inches in length, with the bases of 120, one inch, and of the other 183, half an inch in length. These latter triangles were very narrow or much accumulated. Footnote. In these narrow triangles, the apical angle is 9 degrees 34 minutes, and the basal angles 85 degrees 13 minutes. In the broader triangles, the apical angle is 19 degrees 10 minutes, and the basal angles 80 degrees 25 minutes. End of footnote. As a check on the observations presently to be given, similar triangles in a damp state were seized by a very narrow pair of pincers at different points, 
and at all inclinations with reference to the margins and were then drawn into a short tube of the diameter of a worm burrow if seized by the apex the triangle was drawn straight into the tube with its margins infolded if seized at some little distance from the apex for instance at half an inch this much was doubled back within the tube so it was with the base and basal angles though in this case the triangles offered as might have been expected much more resistance to being drawn in if seized near the middle the triangle was doubled up with the apex and base left sticking out of the tube as the sides of the triangles were three inches in length the result of their being drawn into a tube or into a burrow in different ways may be conveniently divided into three groups those drawn in by the apex or with an inch of it those drawn in by the base or within an inch of it and those drawn in by any portion in the middle inch in order to see how the triangles would be seized by worms some in a damp state were given to worms kept in confinement they were seized in three different manners in the case of both the narrow and broad triangles viz by the margin by one of the three angles which was often completely engulfed in their mouths and lastly by suction applied to any part of the flat surface if lines parallel to the base and an inch apart are drawn across the triangle with the sides three inches in length it will be divided into three parts of equal length now if worms seized indifferently by chance any part they would assuredly seize on the basal part or division far oftener than either of the two other divisions for the area of the basal to the apical part is five to one so that the chance of the former being drawn into the burrow by suction will be as five to one compared with the apical part the base offers two angles and the apex only one so that the former would have twice as good a chance independent of the size of the angles of being engulfed in a worm's mouth as would the apex it should however be stated that the apical angle is not often seized by worms the margin at a little distance on either side being preferred i judge of this from having found in forty out of forty-six cases in which triangles had been drawn into burrows by their apical ends that the tip had been doubled back within the burrow for a length of between one-twentieth of an inch and one inch lastly the proportion between the margins of the basal and apical parts is as three to two for the broad and two and a half to two for the narrow triangles from these several considerations it might certainly have been expected supposing that worms seized hold of the triangles by chance that a considerably larger proportion would have been dragged into the burrows by the basal than by the apical part but we shall immediately see how different was the result triangles of the above specified sizes were scattered on the ground in many places and on many successive nights near worm burrows from which the leaves petioles twigs etc with which they had been plugged were removed altogether three hundred and three triangles were drawn by worms into their burrows twelve others were drawn in by both ends but as it was impossible to judge by which end they had been first seized these are excluded of the three hundred and three sixty-two per cent had been drawn in by the apex using this term for all drawn in by the apical part one inch in length fifteen per cent by the middle and twenty-three per cent by the basal part if they had been drawn in indifferently by any point the proportion for the apical middle and basal parts would have been thirty three point three per cent for each but as we have just seen it might have been expected 
that a much larger proportion would have been drawn in by the basal than by any other part. As the case stands, nearly three times as many were drawn in by the apex as by the base. If we consider the broad triangles by themselves, 59% were drawn in by the apex, 25% by the middle, and 16% by the base. Of the narrow triangles, 65% were drawn in by the apex, 14% by the middle, and 21% by the base. So that here those drawn in by the apex were more than three times as many as those drawn in by the base. We may therefore conclude that the manner in which the triangles are drawn into the burrows is not a matter of chance. In eight cases, two triangles had been drawn into the same burrow, and in seven of these cases, one had been drawn in by the apex and the other by the base. This again indicates that the result is not determined by chance. Worms appear sometimes to revolve in the act of drawing in the triangles, for five out of the whole lot had been wound into an irregular spire round the inside of the burrow. Worms, kept in a warm room, drew sixty-three triangles into their burrows, but, as in the case of the pine leaves, they worked in a rather careless manner, for only forty-four percent were drawn in by the apex, twenty-two percent by the middle, and thirty-three percent by the base. In five cases, two triangles were drawn into the same burrow. It may be suggested, with much apparent probability, that so large a proportion of the triangles were drawn in by the apex, not from the worms having selected this end as the most convenient for the purpose, but from having first tried in other ways and failed. This notion was countenanced by the manner in which worms in confinement were seen to drag about and drop the triangles, but then they were working carelessly. I did not at first perceive the importance of this subject, but merely noticed that the bases of those triangles, which had been drawn in by the apex, were generally clean and not crumpled. The subject was afterwards attended to carefully. In the first place, several triangles which had been drawn in by the basal angles, or by the base, or a little above the base, and which were thus much crumpled and dirtied, were left for some hours in water, and were then well shaken while immersed but neither the dirt nor the creases were thus removed. Only slight creases could be obliterated, even by pulling the wet triangle several times through my fingers. Owing to the slime from the worm's bodies, the dirt was not easily washed off. We may therefore conclude that if a triangle, before being dragged in by the apex, had been dragged into a burrow by its base, with even a slight degree of force, the basal part would long retain its creases, and remain dirty. The condition of eighty-nine triangles, sixty-five narrow and twenty-four broad ones, which had been drawn in by the apex, was observed, and the bases of only about seven of them were at all creased, being at the same time generally dirty. Of the eighty-two uncreased triangles, fourteen were dirty at the base, but it does not follow from this fact that these had first been dragged towards the burrows by their bases. For the worms, sometimes covered large portions of the triangles with slime, and these, when dragged by the apex over the ground, would be dirtied. And during rainy weather, the triangles were often dirtied over one whole side or over both sides. If the worms had dragged the triangles to the mouths of their burrows by their bases, as often as by their apices, and had then perceived, without actually trying to draw them into the burrow, that the broader end was not well adapted for this purpose, even in this case, 
a large proportion would probably have had their basal ends dirtied. We may therefore infer, improbable as is the inference, that worms are able by some means to judge which is the best end by which to draw triangles of paper into their burrows. The percentage of results of the foregoing observations on the manner in which worms draw various kinds of objects into the mouths of their burrows may be abridged as follows. Leaves of various kind, 80% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 11% drawn in by or near the middle, 9% drawn in by or near the base. Leaves of the lime, basal margin of blade broad, apex accumulated, 79% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 17% drawn in by or near the middle, 4% drawn in by or near the base. Leaves of a laburnum, basal part of blade as narrow as, or sometimes little narrower, than the apical part. 63% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 10% drawn in by or near the middle, 27% drawn in by or near the base. Leaves of the rhododendron, basal part of the blade often narrower than the apical part, 34% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 66% drawn in by or near the base. Leaves of pine trees, consisting of two needles arising from a common base, 100% drawn in by or near the base. Petioles of a clematis, somewhat pointed at the apex and blunt at the base. 76% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 24% drawn in by or near the base. Petioles of the ash, the thick basal end often drawn in to serve as food. 48.5% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 51.5% drawn in by or near the base. Petioles of rubinia, extremely thin, especially towards the apex, so as to be ill-fitted for plugging up the burrows. 44% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 56% drawn in by or near the base. Triangles of paper of two sizes, 62% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex, 15% drawn in by or near the middle, 23% drawn in by or near the base. Triangles of the broad ones alone. 59% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex. 25% drawn in by or near the middle. 16% drawn in by or near the base. Triangles of the narrow ones alone. 65% drawn into the burrows by or near the apex. 14% drawn in by or near the middle. 21% drawn in by or near the base. If we consider these several cases, we can hardly escape from the conclusion that worms show some high degree of intelligence in their manner of plugging up their burrows. Each particular object is seized in too uniform a manner, and from causes which we can generally understand, for the result to be attributed to mere chance. That every object has not been drawn in by its pointed end may be accounted for by labor having been saved, through some being inserted by their broader or thicker ends. No doubt worms are led by instinct to plug up their burrows, and it might have been expected that they would have been led by instinct 
how best to act in each particular case, independently of intelligence. We see how difficult it is to judge whether intelligence comes into play, for even plants might sometimes be thought to be thus directed. For instance, when displaced leaves redirect their upper surfaces toward the light by extremely complicated movements and by the shortest course. With animals, actions appearing due to intelligence may be performed through inherited habit without any intelligence, although aboriginally thus acquired, or that habit may have been acquired through the preservation and inheritance of beneficial variations of some other habit. And in this case, the new habit will have been acquired independently of intelligence throughout the whole course of its development. There is no a priori improbability in worms having acquired special instincts through either of these two latter means. Nevertheless, it is incredible that instincts should have been developed in reference to objects such as leaves or petioles of foreign plants, wholly unknown to the progenitors of the worms which act in the described manner. Nor are their actions so unvarying or inevitable as are most true instincts. As worms are not guided by special instincts in each particular case, though possessing a general instinct to plug up their burrows, and as chance is excluded, the next most probable conclusion seems to be that they try in many different ways to draw in objects, and at last succeed in some one way. But it is surprising that an animal so low in the scale as a worm should have the capacity for acting in this manner, as many higher animals have no such capacity. For instance, Ants may be seen vainly trying to drag an object transversely to their course, which could be easily drawn longitudinally, though, after a time, they generally act in a wiser manner. M. Fabre states, footnote, see his interesting work, Souvenir Entomologique, 1879, pages 168 to 177, end of footnote, that a sphix, an insect belonging to the same highly endowed order with ants, stocks its nest with paralyzed grasshoppers, which are inevitably dragged into the burrows by their antennae. When these were cut off close to the head, the sphex seized the palpi. But when these were likewise cut off, the attempt to drag its prey into the burrow was given up in despair. The sphex had not intelligence enough to seize one of the six legs or the ovipositor of the grasshopper, which, as M. Febre remarks, would have served equally well. So again, if the paralyzed prey with an egg attached to it be taken out of the cell, the sphex, after entering and finding the cell empty, nevertheless closes it up in the usual elaborate manner. Bees will try to escape, and go on buzzing for hours on a window, one half of which has been left open. Even a pike, continued during three months, to dash and bruise itself against the glass sides of an aquarium in the vain attempt to seize minnows on the opposite side. Footnote. Mobius. Die Bewegungen der Tiere, etc. 1873, page 111. End of footnote. A cobra snake was seen by Mr. Layard. Footnote. Annals and Magazine of Natural History, Series 2, Volume 9, 1852, page 333. End of footnote to act much more wisely than either the pike or the sphinx. It had swallowed a toad lying within a hole, and could not withdraw its head. The toad was disgorged, and began to crawl away. It was again swallowed, and again disgorged. And now the snake had learnt by experience, 
for it seized the toad by one of its legs and drew it out of the hole the instincts of even higher animals are often followed in a senseless or purposeless manner the weaver bird will perseveringly wind threads through the bars of its cage as if building a nest a squirrel will pat nuts on a wooden floor as if he had just buried them in the ground a beaver will cut logs of wood and drag them about though there is no water to dam up and so in many other cases mr romaines who has specially studied the minds of animals believes that we can safely infer intelligence only when we see an individual profiting by its own experience by this test the cobra showed some intelligence but this would have been much plainer if on the second occasion he had drawn a toad out of a hole by its leg the sphex failed signally in this respect if worms try to drag objects into their burrows first in one way and then in another until they at last succeed they profit at least in each particular instance by experience but evidence has been advanced showing that worms do not habitually try to draw objects into their burrows in many different ways thus half decayed lime leaves from their flexibility could have been drawn in by their middle or basal parts and were thus drawn into the burrows in considerable numbers yet a large majority were drawn in by or near the apex the petioles of the clematis could certainly have been drawn in with equal ease by the base and apex yet three times and in certain cases five times as many were drawn in by the apex as by the base it might have been thought that the footstalks of leaves would have tempted the worms as a convenient handle yet they are not largely used except when the base of the blade is narrower than the apex a large number of the petioles of the ash were drawn in by the base but this part serves the worms as food in the case of pine leaves worms plainly show that they at least do not seize the leaf by chance but their choice does not appear to be determined by the divergence of the two needles and the consequent advantage or necessity of drawing them into the burrows by the base with respect to the triangles of paper those which had been drawn in by the apex rarely had their bases creased or dirty and this shows that the worms had not often first tried to drag them in by this end if worms are able to judge either before drawing or after having drawn an object close to their mouths of their burrows how best to drag it in they must acquire some notion of its general shape this they probably acquire by touching it in many places with the anterior extremity of their bodies which serves as a tactile organ it may be well to remember how perfect the sense of touch becomes in a man when born blind and deaf as are worms if worms have the power of acquiring some notion however rude of the shape of an object and of their burrows as seems to be the case they deserve to be called intelligent for they then act in nearly the same manner as would a man under similar circumstances to sum up as chance does not determine the manner in which objects are drawn into the burrows and as the existence of specialized instincts for each particular case cannot be admitted the first and most natural supposition is that worms try all methods until they at last succeed but many appearances are opposed to such a supposition one alternative alone is left namely that worms although standing low in the scale of organization possess some degree of intelligence this will strike everyone as very improbable but it may be doubted whether we know enough about the nervous system of the lower animals to justify 
our natural distrust of such a conclusion. With respect to the size of the cerebral ganglia, we should remember what a mass of inherited knowledge, with some power of adapting means to an end, is crowded into the minute brain of a worker ant. End of chapter 2, part 2